Hi, this is Paul. Got a really excellent comment on the recording of the talk that I gave at the German Breakwater event last fall. Um, the comment goes like this. Excellent talk, Paul. Can someone break down what the main differences in their beliefs are between Paul and Jonathan Peugeot? I'm very slowly, it seems, developing my faith, and I'm still unsure which denomination I align with the most. If you haven't so, finish the sentence. YouTube has, YouTube channels work in different ways. And one of the things that I want to do with my channel is always use my channel, hopefully to build a community. And I've, I've learned that over time. Um, sometimes we call this little, this little corner a flotilla of channels. That's what Grim Grizz usually calls it. I think that's a good way to conceptualize it. But my goal is to help, is to do exactly what this man is asking in terms of help people develop their faith, find a good church, flourish in their church, and flourish in life. That's my general goal. Now, there's only a limited amount of stuff I can push through my channel. And so I sort of pace it. And that's part of the reason that I'm using the membership section now. There's a Randos membership section where Randos conversations can go, and I'll be some of those conversations will be liberated out to the full channel at some point. I sometimes do little clips of them because when people see one hours or two hours with someone they don't recognize, they might never click on it, and there are often little things in those conversations that are really good and really important. YouTube loves big con big videos, loves background videos, but so often in a big background video, there's all these little nuggets that really deserve more attention and deserve to sort of be searchable and findable in different ways. Why on earth am I answering this question with a talk like that? So in this little video I did for the German estuary, my sort of my introductory video, I walked through sort of a history of the last six years. Many of us in the corner really enjoy each other and really enjoy what we are what we have grown to call the corner now that that growing to call it the corner is something that can often only happen organically it it sort of arises and the name arises and everyone sort of revolves around that name and owns the name or at least most people and enjoy it but over the last six years a lot of things have grown and we've made new friends and we've found some new ways to be together and we've got some new ideas and we're talking about it so in this talk, I sort of walked through the growth and development of this little corner and then did some thinking about probably where it will go. I really do need at some point, it might have to wait until my church dies or I start retirement or something like that to, to really sit down and write. Because when you when you write something, it's a different, it takes on a different form than just speaking it out loud, even though now we can record not only audio but video, and so that's helpful. But, but writing is a certain kind of compression that forces you to organize it and systematize it, and it, it creates sort of a different thing. Some of the on-ramp questions that we have about this little corner have to do with basically what this question is asking. Okay, so 
people have a sense of something and they're attracted to it and they want to go to it. And, and maybe it's a church, maybe it's a religion, but a, your religion can't live in your head. A religion has to live in your head. It has to be alive in your imagination. It has to be a living spirit within your body, but it must be an acted and lived out. And so this, this question about beliefs is, is one of the key things, one of the key elements of what's happening as we continue to get beyond modernity. So in terms of thinking about what I want to write, part of it is sort of certain essential elements to what has made this moment this moment. One of the elements is what John Verveke calls combinatorial explosiveness. Now, I probably owe a big apology to John Verveke because the truth is he often uses these terms in technical ways with respect to cognitive science. And then as a typical pastor, I've told many of you right from the start, you can find it in my earliest videos about pastors, we are thieves. We find language that we like and we appropriate it and we start using it in unscientific ways. Now, I am, of course, riffing on science with respect to with respect to combinatorial explosiveness in that Jordan Peterson says it very well. There are, um, you need to arrange your, you need to have the world arranged by value hierarchies. And without those value hierarchies, there are simply too many different, we can use the word things. There are too many different facts. There are too many different relationships. There are too, there's too much nuance within relationships. To actually function in the world, you would be paralyzed. And so there is always a hierarchy of value. And this hierarchy of value is absolutely instrumental to engaging productively with the world. And there are lots of clips of of Jordan Peterson saying that. There are lots of clips of John Verveke saying it. It is that realization that has come along in the realm of cognitive science that has forced the world beyond the world of objects that modernity sort of freezes us in. Now, with all of these ideas that I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to actually talk about a lot of them, but with this idea and the next idea I'm about to talk about, it is not the case that people hear the words. It's seldom the case that people hear the words and say, oh, that's true, therefore my whole life will be changed. That is not how transformation happens in a human being. Another idea of John Verveke's, the transjective, it is the going back and forth in a dialogical way with reality that we actually change in time. Every now and then there's a moment of transformation and everything sort of cuts loose, but usually in those moments, that's sort of a moment of breakage, and then we spend the next long while rebuilding our world together. And as we're rebuilding the world, the old maps that we have used of the world continue to function until bit by bit by bit this new insight that we have begins to rearrange our value hierarchy and we begin to become transformed. This is what happens in religious 
conversions. This is what happens in many things. Now, this, this note is, this comment is so excellent because he is in that process and he is trying to sort out what the world means. And so often the way this happens in a person is that dissonance develops. They have their old map and dissonance develops, 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 and then there's a breaking point and something lets loose. And maybe sometimes it's a new, it's a new something or a new thing. It might be Christianity. It might be a new idea, but something happens that says, okay, I need to rearrange everything. But the rearranging of everything takes a lot of time. Part of what happened in modernity was the focus, and again, I think John Verveke is right, the overemphasis on propositional beliefs. Now, propositional beliefs are a very tempting target for us we are, when we are in the sea of chaos to reach out to because propositions seem to be more durable than a lot of the other things that we are dealing with when we are looking for order and structure and a solid place to stand. Jesus, of course, talks about this with at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He compares building a house on sand and building a house on rock when a, when a flood comes. And you might imagine that that story of Jesus in a place like where I worked in the Dominican Republic, where what would happen is that you would have these, you'd have a little stream going through a riverbank, and then you'd have this riverbank. Now, if someone sat there and looked, they'd say, why are all these stones in this way like this? Why is there so much space around this riverbank when the water is just going down here? Now, someone who sees that might say, hmm. Maybe because every now and then we get a tremendous amount of rain and this whole thing will get filled up. And you see this in California. Any place that sort of has very dry and then very wet in irregular ways, you recognize that. Now, if that sand that you're building your house on is sort of the sandy bank at a stream and you think, well, this is a really handy place to, to live because to get my water, of course, you don't have indoor plumbing, to get my water, I just have to walk a few steps out, get my water from the stream and go back to my house. A nice sandy, that nice sandy stream bed is nice and level and seems to be a good place to build. Sand is always kind of nice to build on because you can sort of level things out and build from there. The only problem is what happens in the Dominican Republic is that people start to encroach on those stream beds and then every 10 or 15 years or so, a powerful tropical storm or worse, a hurricane comes through and dumps enormous amounts of rain on there and everything in the stream bed gets washed away. There was a, there was a hurricane that came through not too many years after I left the Dominican Republic and some of my friends were still there and they told me about how they survived that hurricane. They were living in a block house, which is up on dry land. And I, I still remember when a tropical storm came through, when I was living in that same neighborhood that my friends were, there were absolutely no indications anywhere around that we were living in something like a dry creek bed. But when that tropical storm came through, that just so happened to be a, a strike, and all the national meteorologists were on strike. And so we got absolutely no warning of this tropical storm. We weren't living in sort of the 
ubiquitous internet age at that point. The internet had not really come to where I was living at that point yet. But you wake up, at, you know, the fierce storm at night, there was water in my second floor bedroom. It doesn't mean there were water all the way up, but so much water had come in the windows. All of our floors were wet in the house. And then I looked out in front and the whole, that whole area that the whole time I had lived in that neighborhood was dry. It was just water flowing through it. So then when a few years later, a hurricane came through, well, it was even worse. And they were digging people out of the mud. And I mean, it was just an absolutely horrendous situation. So propositions feel like solid ground. And, and in many ways, that's part of what modernity did was, hmm, we have all of this perspectival war between, at least in Europe, the Protestants and the Catholics. So let's let's try and build, and in many ways Protestantism tried to do this. Let's let's all there's way too much tradition. It's way too chaotic. So let's let's narrow the canon to the Bible, which is, I think, an absolutely great idea. Except what happened as modernity continued to develop was that they began to treat the Bible as if it were like measurements dropping a sphere from a tower in Italy. And while the Bible has plenty of propositions in it and plenty of data that can be that can be articulated in a propositional way, and of course that had happened long before the modern period, there's sort of this overemphasis on it. And so then certain aspects of belief came into vogue. And 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 so part of what that part of where that arrived was that you have churches, and my church is still the same way, and I think it's a perfectly valid way to start a conversation, is that you ask people what they believe, and they tell you. Now, part of the reason that I knew that that, wasn't, that could never be the whole story was because I looked around church and you had people who believed all the right things living in a very different way than they, than what were sort of the implicit rules of the church in terms of how people should live. And what that indicated me was that the propositional system has its place, but it's not the whole story. So if you just search in YouTube, Paul Vanderclay, Jonathan Peugeot, you can find our first conversations. And this one right here, I, um, my, my facial hair tends to be um, chaotic. So sometimes it'll be one way, sometimes it'll be another way. So this is my first conversation with Jonathan Peugeot. And this was sort of a get-to-know-you conversation. And we got to swap stories. I discovered he used to be a missionary. We start telling missionary stories. It was a lot of fun. And so five years ago, we did that conversation, and we, we sort of began to get on the same page. Jonathan, I, I very much count Jonathan as a friend. Um, I, I, we don't get to spend that much time together. We don't text back and forth. I mean, it's, he's not that kind of friend, but whenever I see him, we can kind of pick up where we leave off. And I, I don't know that the best way for you... Neil, or any of the rest of you, make a, the reason I make a video like this is because on the basis of the conversations I have with people, I have a sneaking suspicion. This question is illustrative of a question that many people have. The best way to get a sense of where you should go to church or which denomination, actually, I don't know that 
the denominational approach is necessarily the best way to start looking for a church. There's tremendous varieties within denominations. So if, if you could try to distill myself and Jonathan Peugeot down into things that we believe, well, in fact, how would we do that? You can go back to Jordan Peterson's question and answer in a university early on where he said, well, you know, what, what people think they believe is of limited value. It, it, it has its role, it has its place, but a lot of it depends on what exactly you're looking for. Because people are usually not in good contact with who they actually are. We are mysteries to ourselves. And what you're looking for in a church is a community that will form you and that you will help form the community in a godly Christian direction. That's what you're looking for in a church. And, and so the beliefs of the church will have some importance. Again, I, when I talk this way, some people will sort of get all nervous because, well, Paul doesn't believe in propositional beliefs or Paul doesn't believe in a confessional church. I know, Luke, you're out there in my Consciousness Congress talking about confessional churches. I, 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 am, I continue to be a minister of the word in a confessional church, and happily so, and I have no desire to leave it. I don't have a problem with confessionality. I can think confessionality is an absolutely valid and helpful tool in arranging and organizing. But it is not the only thing involved. So if you were to try to break down Paul Vanderclay and Jonathan Peugeot into things that we believe, if you gave us massive checklists of true, false, and you'd have to sort of, and that way of thinking, that embassy brain way of thinking, you'd have to sort of sum it up into all of these little discrete things. Now again, all of our answers to these questions would not be unimportant, and they would not be... Um, empty, you would learn a lot about us by this. And so when I talk to people, I ask them propositional questions because they kind of help locate, help me locate them on a map. But that is hardly the only thing that's involved. My, both Jonathan Peugeot and I tell people regularly, go to church. That's what you should do. You should go to church. Then the next question is, well, how can I find a church? And I, I will sometimes have people come into Living Stones, and they will come into Living Stones because they have done a research project on churches, and they have tried to find churches that believe what they believe. I think that process has limited value. My advice for people is, okay, if you want to start going to church, and you want to grow in your Christian life, Find a Christian that you respect. It could be the pastor of the church. You might not know him very well. You might, in fact, not know very many Christians. But you might have a sense from the pastor of the church or the leadership of the church or someone else that you know in the church that that's kind of where I want to go. Now, why so vague? It's because in many respects, not always, our intuitions can give us good information. Now, our intuitions are not infallible. They can be fooled. But if you see someone and you think, I kind of that's kind of the way I want to go, it's a good place to start. 
And so my advice to people is often find someone that already goes to church and start going to the church they go to. That will be a process of refinement then. Because as you get further up and further in, as you go into it, then you will start to, one, on one hand, be molded, but also you will grow in information. Because just sort of finding a checklist of beliefs that you think you align with, you might not believe what, you might not, how those things function in their lives might not function the same way in your life. So the podcast, The Sacred, um, did a conversation with Jonathan Peugeot last year. And similar to what happened with my conversation with Jonathan Peugeot, my first conversation with him, because actually when I discovered this podcast, The Sacred, I discovered that Elizabeth Oldfield kind of went about this in the very in a very similar way to which I've gone about my relationships online and that begin to get to know people by beginning to get to know their stories. Now, she opens up these conversations with a conversation about the sacred. And convenience and the sort of economic rational actor theory, we get to something truer that helps us understand each other better. And people have said all manner of things to me about what they hold sacred. Um, but what bubbles up for you with that question? What might be some sacred values or some things that you've tried to build your life around that are precious? So I would say my answer might actually be far more boring than, than what you expect in the sense that I really have completely embraced a more traditional vision of what is sacred. That is, I really see sacrality as a form of participation in something which is beyond you and, and something which is beyond you, but also binds you to, to that transcendent, but also to the people that are acknowledging and participating in the sacred as well. And so I really do see something let's say like the Eucharist in the Christian tradition as being the root of sacred participation. Um, and so I am a, I'm a liturgical artist. I make images, I make sacred images for churches and for people. And I am very much in love with that language, with that tradition, you know, with the, 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 the sacred space of a church and how it's set up in a three tiered structure and how it reflects also our own inner sacred space that we have to also be attentive to and uh, and come into. And so ultimately I could say that I believe that the sacred is something like the place where the transcendent meets the mundane. It's the place where God encounters the world. Just gonna pause on that um, hefty and, and beautiful sentence. The sacred is the place where something meets the mundane. I don't want to forget it. The transcendent meets the mundane. Now, the way that this podcast, The Sacred, is going about things isn't a bad way to go about trying to get a sense of who someone is. It's actually a, a very good question to sort of open with. But you can tell from Jonathan's answer that, well, you can take that and sort of work that into belief statements and that would be informative and handy and useful. But what they're about to go through, and I just don't have enough time right now to go through this, what they're about to go through is a kind of a walkthrough of Jonathan's story. And again, it's very similar to what I had done. And in that story, Jonathan, he's raised, his parents were part of this 
movement in Quebec from being French Canadian Catholics into evangelical Protestants. And then Jonathan, um, not really finding that fitting him so well, in many ways through his artist temperament and going on his own journey and winding, winding up in orthodoxy. And that's Jonathan's story. But part of the reason that my YouTube channel is a little different from a lot of Christian YouTube, including Orthodox YouTube, because what's interesting to me is that while I look at a lot of Protestants and Evangelicals and Catholics on YouTube wanting to just sort of hammer on each other with respect to all of these propositions. You have it right, you have it wrong, you have it right, you have it wrong. And, you know, fair enough. Again, I'm I'm a minister in a confessional church. I am not saying that confessionality is un, unimportant or, or not a good way to actually try to organize some things. I am saying it has limited value. It never tells the whole story. And what I see happen sometimes is that sometimes Orthodox YouTube is just as Protestant as the Protestants on YouTube. Now, again, some people are going to rush in and say, well, are you saying that the, that the, the church of the, the patristic church didn't fight about beliefs? No, they did fight about beliefs. Again, I'm going to say this a dozen times in this video, and still I'm going to get comments because I've been down this road before. Propositions have their place. They do. I'm not denying that. But it's not the whole story. And so part of what I get tired with Christian YouTube, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, and there are a few channels out there that are sort of playing that with some of my recordings now. Paul Vanderclay is deficient Christian because he doesn't believe XXX. Okay, fair enough. I'm a deficient Christian for a whole lot more reasons than the things that you can point to. And it's that whole space of all those other reasons that are the point of this. That reality is so full that you cannot distill it into the propositions. That's a very similar point as the combinatorial explosiveness. We manage reality through propositions often because they are tremendously useful. Don't build your house in a dry riverbed. It's good advice. Dry riverbed is a proposition. It correlates to, you know, a dry riverbed. Don't do it. It's all good propositions. But it's not enough of the story. Jonathan Peugeot and I might not differ in a lot of beliefs, and we do differ in some practices in terms of the practice of my church and the practice of his church. Now, part of why we do so is idiosyncratic. We have different stories. We have different temperaments. God has worked in us in different ways and continues to work with us in different ways. And for me, all of that is well and good because Jonathan Peugeot can engage with people I cannot for Christ, and I can engage with people that Jonathan Pichot maybe um, can't in other ways. Maybe my group is smaller. That's fine. I'm totally good with all of that. And that's part of the reason why, you know, so many of the people who I talk to have said things like, well, you know, Paul, I, you know, I was an atheist, blah, blah, blah. I decided to go into church and I've really found my way in the Orthodox church. And I say to that, praise God. 
I am, I will, I am happy for you. I will celebrate that with you. I have no problems with that at all. What you're going to have a harder time trapping me into is getting into a propositional fight. Not again, I'm going to say it again, not because I don't think propositions are important, not because I don't think propositional belief is important, not because of any of that, but when it comes to your life, your life is way more complex, back to the combinatorial explosiveness, than you have time to actually consciously figure out. And the truth is that you are even far more sophisticated than the conscious part of your brain has time to figure out that it is actually the practices and the mappings that are important. And for Jonathan Peugeot, he found that for his life, it was important that he commit himself to the Orthodox faith and an Orthodox church. And to that I say, praise God, and I want him to flourish. As for me, it's not my story. I continue to be in at Living Stones and enjoy praising God and worshiping God in the Christian Reformed Church and in Living Stones like I do now. Now, someday Living Stones might not be here, and when I retire, I'll probably have to make a decision about what church I would like to worship in, whether or not Living Stones are here. There's always a little problematic if a Protestant minister becomes a member of a church he served in. There usually has to be a big um, pause because otherwise, especially if someone like me who has been here for 26 years already becomes to come a problem for the next pastor, on and on and on and on. Anyway, I might someday have to choose what church to attend. And... It probably won't be very liturgical because that's not really how I'm formed. It would probably be a lower church. It would probably be more expressive, probably a bit Pentecostal. Um, that's just how I am. And so your your instinct to sort of um, to sort of let me get this back. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? It's terrible when I'm I uh, can't find it. The instinct that you have of saying, oh, I see something that's helpful in Paul. I see something that's helpful in Jonathan. In many ways, implicitly, you're, you're sort of following my advice because you're saying, Paul goes to a Christian Reformed church. Jonathan goes to an Orthodox church. Maybe I should choose between the two. Maybe you should. A number of people have told me that because of my channel, they looked for, in fact, one of them was on the channel not too long ago, Neil, he looked for a Christian Reformed Church, but he couldn't find any in West Virginia because there are none in West Virginia because the Christian Reformed Church tends to be mostly where Dutch people settled. And even then, if you find a Christian Reformed Church, I have, unlike the church as it was in my grandfather's day, I don't really know what you're necessarily going to find. That doesn't mean it's a bad church, but I don't know that it will be the church for you. Maybe you'll find an Orthodox church. Maybe you'll find a Catholic church. Maybe you'll find a Pentecostal church, a Baptist church. Maybe as, you know, when I talked to Sally Joe last time we talked, you know, she went to Orthodoxy and, and eventually she moved back to the town she grew up in and went to the church she grew up in and said, you know what? This, these are my people. This is my fit. I will serve God in this place. So my, my advice to you is, as I said before, try, but maybe not just, I mean, you can take 
me and Jonathan and probably some other people on YouTube is sort of giving you a sense of where you want to go. But chances are good you're going to want to find a church that's ideally within five or ten minutes of your house. On the outer, you might have to drive 30 or 40 minutes or even an hour to church. Some people do that. That's not ideal. Ideally, you'll find a church that's fairly close to your house so that you can go there regularly, so that you can participate in the community, not just in terms of the worship service or the mass or the liturgy, but in terms of the community of the church. So you can build relationships in the church. So you can find friends in the church. And it's all that way that the body of Christ is knit together and the church is a community. And so I mentioned, I mentioned Neil. This was my conversation with Neil. Part of the reason I do these randos conversations is because it's actually in the reality of the randos conversations that the truth gets revealed. And here is Neil working his stuff out. He talked about the fact that his mother, was, she was Japanese, both identified as a Buddhist and went to a Methodist church. And again, propositionally, someone might say, well, that doesn't work. Well, kind of worked for her. I'm not saying it was perfect. And she, she herself probably didn't think it was perfect. But you have to start someplace. And you have to go with what's possible around you. And so even though the Randos conversations are some of the least viewed things on the channel, they're actually some of the most important things on the channel because what you actually can wind up seeing in them are real-life human beings not too shaped by the profilicity of the Internet figuring their stuff out and talking out loud as they go. So again, um, what I started out, see, now you'll understand the first part of the video. I try to release the Randall's conversations in a way that they will be seen when appropriate. And there are different levels. So some are behind in the membership section because for very real reasons, some of the people don't want them on the open internet. Some of them I let out with permission on the open internet. But the reason behind the Randos channel is the same reason behind how to find a church. Because you are more complex than your sets of beliefs. You are more complex than you have time to realize. And even just that statement, you are more complex, is sort of a proposition there. And the truth is far deeper than just the proposition. And the way that you penetrate that far deeper truth is in life. Propositions are important. They guide us. They can be sort of like sticks in the sand. They can be sort of like GPS coordinates. They can sort of mark out a territory, and that's fine. But life has to be lived. And so my faith, Jonathan Peugeot's faith, the faith of lots of the Christians around here that you might say, oh, I see something. Well, what do you see? And then you struggle to articulate it. But you see it. And you know it's there. So you follow it up. Now, it might be that you follow for a while. You say, eh, I've outgrown that. Or I don't, that I've, I've, I've sort of seen through it. Or it's lost its luster. Or there's something else. And all of that is fine. But 
You live into, that's how you actually grow in faith. Now again, you'll hear people talk about practices. So we had propositional way of knowing, and then we had, John was talking, Jonathan was talking about participation, but there's the perspectival and the procedural. And, and part of the reason practices is such a trendy buzzword, both in and out of the church right now, is because we are now sort of correcting our overemphasis on propositions and understanding that the Christian life is not something to be thought about, but something to be lived. And the Christian life is lived in the context of community. And that community, that gathering, ecclesia, that gathering is called the church. Now, now, Neil was struggling with church here. And another Randall's conversation that I posted recently with Jacob was the same way. Jacob doesn't really have a church home right now, and he's struggling with it. And the reason I post these conversations is because you can listen to them, and they're good to listen to while you're cutting the grass or washing the dishes or if you're a tradesman doing your job, because you're, 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 you will hear it, but you'll probably be, your consciousness will probably be over here attending to this, attending to that, to that. But another level of you is hearing it. Every now and then, the, your consciousness congress hearing it will say, oh, and you back that up. What did he say about that? I caught something. And then you'll get a clue. This, this might help me. This might help me grow. This might help me find the next step. This might help me begin to make my way. And so it's not a solution. I loved what, um, I forget his name, what said to Jonathan Peugeot, you know, there's no solution. Yeah, every time I hear solution, I think the final solution, it's, no, 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 no. It's the next step. So, yeah, finding out how Paul and Jonathan agree and disagree with respect to our beliefs is going to be of limited utility might find out how we participate, and we do that at church. And so the way to do it is to start the journey. And it might take a while. I mean, both these guys have struggled, and it's not an easy thing. But keep at it. And again, part of what I suggest to people is find someone that you respect who is in your meat space life and going to church and say, can I go with you next Sunday? And they'll usually say, yes. Or maybe they'll say, my church is kind of weird, but you can come. And But if they know you, they might be able to say, you might try that church over there. And then you start the process. So it's sort of like dating. I like dating better than shopping because church is not finally a product. All right. I am out of time, but I hope this helps with your question.